learned this a few years ago. Maybe I got my, maybe I have my information wrong. But, uh, you know, we, when we put the songs up here, we don't put uh, commas in there. And uh, we all, I've always sung sung, sung this song, God rest you merry gentlemen, right? Uh, uh, All you merry gentlemen, rest, is how I've always sung the song. And I'm told that the the comma comes after merry. God rest you merry gentlemen. Men and women, ladies, everyone, God rest you merry. Rest in joy. Rest in love. Rest merry in in Christ. Um, just a little, just a little something. Right. Now, I want to talk with you this morning about uh, about the love of of God. Uh, whether you feel empty this morning because of your circumstances, or you feel empty despite your circumstances, or this morning you feel full. For whatever reasons, you know, you just look at your life right now and there's a fullness that you feel uh, within you. Wherever you are in your life, I want you to know that there is a place. I want you to know that there is a place of rest near to the heart of God. And the heart of God is a heart of love. God is not just loving. God doesn't just love. God is love. God is love. And so if we want to connect with God, we we have to know his love. We have to rest in his love. And that's what I want you to, to experience today. I want you to grasp and hold on to the reality of God's love as your anchor in the midst of every temptation, in the midst of every storm in your life. I want you to know the love of God. Now, I'm going to speak on just one verse. Uh, This may be the best-known verse in the entire Bible. I memorized it when I was five or six years old. Um, It is uh, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That's what I want to talk about this morning. I want us to look at four dimensions of God's love. The magnitude of God's love, the the expanse of God's love, the necessity of God's love, and the blessedness of God's love. And and these truths may be be old, old, old news to you, right? This this truth may be old to you. And if that's the case, my prayer is that God will refresh and re-energize your faith through, through these truths. Or these truths may be brand new to you. You may have never heard them before. And and if that's the case, my prayer is that God will push you along on a journey of faith to know him, the God who is love. All right, so four things about the love of God. Number one, this is the magnitude of God's love. He gave. This is the magnitude of God's love. He gave. John 3.16 begins, For God so loved the world. And that little word, so, as Ramathink mentioned yesterday, tells us how God loved the world. God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son. And that phrase, one and only son, uh, we could get into a deep theological discussion about that. And uh, if you want to do so, when we're having lunch, 
go see Pastor Ram, and he will, will have this deep theological discussion about what it means that he is the one and only son. But, but basically, um, it, is, it is saying to us that this son of God, this son, is different from all others who are called sons of God in the Bible. So you go to the Bible, you'll see angels are called sons of God. And you'll see Christians are called sons of God. But the one and only son was neither created like angels, nor were, they, nor were the sons of God, nor was this son of God adopted like Christians are adopted. This son is unique. This son is, in fact, God. Distinct in person from the Father, but one in essence with the Father. So as Christians, we believe in this thing called the Trinity. And what, what, what we mean by that is that we don't believe in three gods. We believe that God is one. There is one God. We believe that he is one. But this one God exists eternally as Father, Son, and Spirit. In three persons, as three persons. Father, Son, Spirit. And these three persons of the Godhead have enjoyed perfect fellowship with each other before the universe was created, before anything ever was. The Godhead, the three in one, have existed in perfect fellowship with each other for eternity. So think of this. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit are in this perfect relationship. They're in perfect harmony. They're in intimate fellowship. They have the greatest joy and the deepest love possible. They have this, this something that you and I have never, ever experienced, this deep oneness with one another. But God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. He gave his greatest joy. He gave his most precious treasure. He gave his most costly gift. He gave his son. Who is the most important person in your life? Who is the person who is closest to you? Think right now, who is that one person who brings you the greatest joy in your life right now? We would hardly ever think of giving that person for another. But God loved the world in this way. He gave his son. Nobody forced him to, but God in his grace gave his son. What does it mean that God gave? Well, it means, first of all, that God sent his son from the perfection of heaven into this world as a human person. He gave his son to come into this world, not just God among men, but he came into this world as a human. God became a man. That's what we, that's what we gather together and what, what we do is, is you know, uh, uh, together and, and individually, as we, at Christmas time, we celebrate, we, we remember, we, we rejoice in this fact that God became a man. He became human. That son is Jesus. And he not only entered our world as, as a man, he entered our world 
to experience, to suffer, to, to, to um, take upon himself all that it means to be human, except for sin. He experienced pain. He hungered. He wept. He was a man of sorrows. He knows your struggles. He sympathizes with them because he entered into them himself. God became a man and he lived among us and he suffered just like you and I. You say, nobody knows what, you know, nobody knows what I've gone through. Nobody knows the, 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 the stuff that I've seen, that, I, that, that I experienced in my life. The Son has. The Son has. God gave his Son to take on full humanity. But greater still than that, God gave his Son to die on a cross. God did not spare his one and only Son. The, the Son came into this world and he wasn't welcomed. He wasn't saying... You know, we read about the wise men who came and worshipped him. That wasn't the case for most people. They didn't welcome him. They didn't accept him. He was, in fact, disbelieved. He was mistrusted. He was despised. He was mocked. He was shamed. And finally, they executed him on a, on a cross. God gave his son to die on a Roman cross. This sinless, perfect son who loved the light, who lived the truth, came into the world to die. And he did it for us. He did it because this is how God loved the world. This is the magnitude of God's love. He gave. God gave his one and only son from the heights of heaven to the depths of this world, from the highest perfection to the deepest suffering from the greatest light to the, to the utmost darkness, God gave his son. From what we can't even begin to imagine to that which is so every day amongst you and me. From the most vibrant life to the most cursed death, God gave his son for us. This is the magnitude of God's love. This is the expanse of God's love, whoever believes. Or as I memorized that, whosoever believes. This is the expanse of God's love. Right? There, there is much beauty in our world. Um, there, there is so much that is that we that we look at in our world, and and there is and there is uh, so much that that we that we uh, admire and, and we see and we're, we're amazed by. But this is also a world of sin and evil. This is a world of oppression and injustice. Some of you experienced that. This is a world of war and terror. This is a world of abuse and neglect. This is a world of greed and lust. This is a world of idolatry and sorcery. This is a world of hate and selfishness. This is our world. You know that. You've experienced it. 
And yet, despite the wickedness of this world, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him, whoever, whoever means everyone who believes. Whoever means anyone who believes. Nobody is restricted from believing. Anybody who believes is included. It doesn't matter who you are. God calls every single one, whoever, to believe. It doesn't matter about your race or your ethnic background. It doesn't matter about your social economic standing, whether you are way up here or whether you are way down here. It doesn't matter about your um, uh, your religious upbringing, whatever that was. It doesn't matter if you never heard of God in your life. It doesn't matter uh, what addictions or demons you battle. It doesn't matter how much of a failure you are or how much of a success. It doesn't matter what your sexual history is. It doesn't matter how bottom out your life is right now. What matters is that you are willing to take all of that, all of your past, and lay it at the feet of Jesus and believe in him. That's all that matters. And this is radical. Everyone else says, you prove yourself first. Everyone else says, clean up your act first. And you know what? People are often kind of okay with that. Because you know why? Because there is an instinct in us that says, I have to earn my salvation. There is this instinct in us. We prefer to save ourselves. But God rejects our self-righteous good works, and he calls us to believe in his son. Believe in his son. That's it. The son is the savior of the world. The son is the, the king of the nations. The son is the Lord of all creation. Believe in him as savior, king, and Lord. But what does it mean to believe? What does that, that in, involve? In the previous chapter of John's gospel, it says that Jesus performed many miracles, and, uh, and as a result, many people believed in him. And if you saw a miracle, you might believe in him too. But, but, but it says also, many people believed in him, but, but Jesus didn't entrust himself to them. So there is a kind of believing that Jesus doesn't accept. So what is true believing? Many people believe things about the Son, things that they heard, things that they were taught. But real believing is faith in the Son. It's, it's trusting Him. It's putting your life into His hands. It's turning from being your own Savior, your own King, your own Lord, and staking your life on Jesus as the true Savior, as the true King, and as the true Lord to be believed in. This is radical. Right? This is if if you believe in the in the in the son, 
the love of God will change you. It, it, will, it will absolutely change you. When we have true belief, we can't continue to live however we please. We're saying, now you're, you're my Savior. Now you're my King. Now you're my Lord. God will mess with your life. He really will. But you ask around those who, those who who have you know who have said I believe in I believe I trust you God and God has messed with their lives they will tell you that's a good thing. At least I I'll say that. I'll tell you this morning that's a good thing that God has messed with my life. God will give you a a, a new heart. He won't leave you as you were to live your life the way you used to do. He will give you a new heart to believe for the rest of your life. He will transform your heart to live by faith in all of your circumstances so that everything in your life depends on Jesus as your Savior, as your King, and as your Lord. And this too is the expanse of God's, uh, God's love. It's not just, uh, it's not just a, a love that's so wide it reaches to everybody in this room. And beyond, it is a love that is so wide, that is so far-reaching, that it stretches across our lives. And, and perhaps you, you've struggled with doubts. And I get that. You, you go to the Bible, um, and, um, and you see that as well. Because, you know, when, when we look at the world around us, sometimes, is, isn't that the question? God, if you're the God of love, where are you? Right? Honestly. God, if you're the God of love, where are you? And people in the Bible struggle with that question. They honestly ask that of God. God, where are you? You promise. Where are you, God? Perhaps you struggle with doubts. Or perhaps you just outright reject that the Son is who the Bible says he is. This past summer, I sat down with a, a young man and we talked about this hard truth about Jesus being God. And I shared with him my own story that there is this time in life where I, where I wrestled, I wrestled with who Jesus is. I didn't want Jesus to be who he said he is. Because I knew what it meant for my life. I knew he was going to mess with me. And I wrestled with this. And I urged, I urged this young man to, to take his Bible, to read it, and to be real with God about, about his unbelief, and to ask God to show him the truth of who Jesus is in the pages of scriptures. Because it all comes down to Jesus. It comes down to who he is. We put our faith in him. So we better know who he is. Is he really who he claims to be? If Jesus is who he says he is, he is worthy to be believed him. We can trust him with our life. Right? This is the expanse of God's love for us. Whoever, anybody here, whoever believes. God knows everything about us. He knows every shameful, guilty, dirty, hidden, um, vile, deceptive, unworthy thing in us. And still he gave his one and only son so that whoever, 
so that anyone who believes in him will know God's heart-transforming, life-changing love for them. We can't earn this. We can't earn this. It is by God's grace. We receive it through faith, through believing in the Son. And that brings us to the third point. This is the necessity of God's love. We perish. So a lot of times we, we think we're okay with God because, you know what, um, I'm a pretty decent human being. I'm a pretty good person. I'm okay with God. But what if we're not okay? What if we're not okay with God? Look again at John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish. The, the implication of that is, is that, that that doesn't sound like we're okay apart from God's love. It sounds like that apart from God's love and believing in the Son, apart from that, we perish. What does it mean we perish? In the verse, we see it contrasted with eternal life. So we could say to perish is to not have eternal life. To perish is to have eternal death. And eternal death means to be separated from God eternally, to have nothing of his life in us forever. Another way of understanding what it means to perish is to skip ahead to John 3:18, just two verses, and it starts by saying, "Whoever believes in him is not condemned." So if we take the, the if we contrast that, we compare it, we say, "So shall not perish and is not condemned are parallel, which means to perish is the same as being condemned. In our natural born condition, we are guilty before God. We are condemned. We have sinned against him. We have disobeyed his commands. We have not loved his glory. We have not trusted his goodness. We are guilty before God. This is Christmas. What I've just shared is bad news. It's not very festive. It's not ho, ho, ho. It's not a happy, it's not happy news. But let me just shift for a moment from the realm of the spiritual to our physical bodies. Let's say you go to the doctor for an exam. And what you want to hear is that you have a clean bill of health. But that's not always the case. So a few weeks ago, Maureen went to our family doctor, and, uh, and, and she gave me permission to share this, but she went to, she went to our family doctor and, uh, about a growth on her leg. And the, uh, and the family doctor said that it was nothing to worry about, um, but you know I, I can even cut it off for you now if you want. I'll burn it off for you. But, but it ended up that, um, that he sent her to a, a specialist. And the specialist said... This looks suspicious. This looks suspicious. Well, we didn't like that the, that the specialist was so negative. And so we chose not to believe him, and we chose to believe the family doctor who said it was okay. Because that's what you would do, right? 
That's what you would do, right? You would say, this guy is too negative. I'm not going to believe him. I'm going to believe my family doctor who said that it was all okay. And of course, that's not what we did. Right? Of course, that's not what we did. Um, we may not have liked the bad news, but pretending or denying doesn't change the reality. In fact, hearing the bad news uh, is, is necessary to get the proper treatment. And yes, Maureen got the proper treatment. Right? Um, she's okay, for those who might be worried about her. So let me bring this back to the love of God. Right? Here's the necessity of God's love. We perish. But God has, God has provided the proper treatment for our sin. He gave his son that, so that whoever believes in him will not perish, will not have eternal death, will not be condemned. You see, Jesus went to the cross and he took our death and he took our condemnation on himself. This perfect sinless one took what you and I deserved on himself. He never sinned against God. He was never in danger of perishing, but he took the judgment of God on our behalf so that whoever believes in him will be forgiven of their sins and be reconciled with the God who created them. This is, this is the necessity of God's love. Finally, this is the blessedness of God's love, eternal life. So listen again to the fullness of John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Eternal life. Um, we sometimes get sucked into what one theologian calls a diminished view of life. Or as another writer puts it, if I could just get that red bow on a new car, then life would be okay. We have a small view of life. We have a really small view of life. Athanasius was a 4th century church bishop. And, a, and one of his books has survived all the way down here. It's called On the Incarnation. And in a review of that particular book, the reviewer said that Athanasius began his book by talking about God's nature. He said, God isn't a being among other beings. He is being itself on whom all reality and existence rests and depends. In other words, God is the essence. He is, he is in his very being, life. And this God of life gave us a special relationship with himself. We can enter into his being. We can enter into his being. That sustains our lives and our souls and our existence. But at the very beginning of the world, Adam and Eve rejected that relationship with God and so brought death to all the sons of Adam and all the daughters of Eve ever since. Every single one of us. Through the fall, we misused our freedom and turned away from God and his grace. Since God is existence and essence and being himself, we thus turn to non-existence, nothingness, and death. See, our view of life is too small. There is a life. 
that is God, who is all essence, who is all being. And when we reconnect to the love of God through believing in the Son, we are given eternal life. We once more enter into fellowship with this God who is, whose very being sustains our lives and souls and existence. And Jesus calls this fullness of life. Fullness of life. doesn't mean prosperity. It doesn't mean comfort. Any of those kinds of things. He means this deep joy, this deep peace of being united to God and knowing him in the very, very depths of our soul. Very depths of our soul. This is the blessedness of God's love, eternal life. The fullness of God's life in you when you believe. And this life will go on forever and ever. We will possess it for all eternity. One day we will die physically in these mortal bodies, but our life will not end. It will not end. The reason we know this is because the son died and he rose again. If he didn't didn't raise again, Paul said, I am the most foolish. Was that? The most pitiful. The most pitiful. So you look at me right now. If Jesus is not raised, you should look at me right now and think to yourself, what a pitiful person standing up there if Jesus is not raised. But he is. He is alive. And because he is raised from the dead, because he is resurrected, we have this promise that he will return one one day to this world that that is loved by God. And on that day, our bodies will be resurrected in mortal, new bodies that will never die or suffer again. The world will will be made new And then for all eternity, we will have life with God, unhindered by the despair, by the darkness of sin, a life that will be more glorious, that a life that will be more beautiful than anything you and I can ever imagine. For everyone who believes. This Christmas morning, my desire is that you will know the love of God. The Apostle Paul once prayed this. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. This is Paul's prayer for the church in Ephesus. And this is my prayer for you this morning. 
Look at how high God's love is. He gave his one and only son to go from the very heights of heaven and to descend into into this world. Look at how wide God's love is. He welcomes you and he welcomes me and he welcomes whoever believes in his son. And look at how deep God's love is. He reaches down to the very depth of our guilt and our shame so that we will not perish. And look at how long, how long God's love is. That everyone who believes in him will have eternal, everlasting life. for 10,000 years and then forevermore. As the songwriter said, we will be with Jesus. And so if you have not believed in the Son, today my desire is that you will become rooted and established in the love of God. My prayer is that you will put your faith, your trust, your hope in the Son who died and rose again for you. You might pray something like this to express your faith, if God is working in your heart. that You might say something like this to, to God himself, Lord Jesus, I turn from my self-directed life. I confess I am guilty. I am guilty of sinning against you and not loving you. But this morning I hear your promise of eternal life for whoever believes in you that I will not perish if I trust you. And I'm no longer going to resist you, but I put my trust in you today who died and rose again for me. If you've never trusted in Jesus, come to him today. But if you have, if you, if you have believed in the Son, my prayer is that you will know and no, and no, and no, and no, the love of God that surpasses knowledge. I've not preached this message this morning primarily for unbelievers. I have preached it for you who know Jesus as your Savior. I want you to know this love that surpasses knowledge. There is a place of rest in all the successes and in all the failures of your life. There is a place of rest near to the heart of God. And it is a heart of love. Come and rest in his love and be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Be filled. Let's pray together. How can we imagine what it was like for you, Lord Jesus, to leave the the perfection of glory to enter into this world? This is all we know. This is all we know. 
How can we begin to imagine what it was like for you to leave heaven and enter this world? Not just to come into this world, but to come into this world as one of us. But this is love. You loved us more than we could ever imagine that someone could love us. You loved us. And I pray this morning that we would see, we would grasp, we would understand, oh, there is no There is no place in this world. There is no circumstance in this world. There is no success in this world. There is no no comfort in this world. There is no home in this world that could be as, as sufficient and as embracing and as good as to rest in your love. So I pray that you would draw us, draw us afresh to you. We love you because you first loved us. In your name we pray, amen.